This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Well, it's lovely to be back with you here on Kelly and Ramya. I'm Ramya Amuthan. Of course, Kelly McDonald is also here. We're the hosts, and we're here for two hours to hang out chat with you and get to know each other and all our guests and contributors a little bit. So speaking of getting to know, Kelly, I want to know how you treat yourself, what you indulge in, what you consider to be a bit of that, um, you know, pleasure-finding experiences. So what's one thing that you say you spend reasonable amounts of money on? Okay, this got to be followed up with monetary uh, a mm. evidence, okay, to pamper or treat yourself? What is it? What's okay. that thing? So the thing that... See, this is hard because it varies, Rum, uh, at times. Like right now, I would originally say, oh, man, any of my electronics, the house, but I got enough stuff. Okay. So I would say the thing I probably do You do, do indulge most, in that Sonos of yours. Yeah, and I and I obviously do the the, the care of oneself, massages, uh, you know, um, you know, get yeah. that kind of stuff because Often. of my lower back. And then, oh, you know, once a month I, I see my, my okay, nice. massage therapist. But I would say the thing would be probably jackets or clothes. Mm, jackets? That's what I think. Yeah, I Sports think. Sports coats? Clothing. Yeah, sports coats or just, you know, a, a jacket to wear. I I have more of those. I kind of get a kick out of going and just playing around with clothes, trying stuff on different shirts and things, or finding a reason to say, mm. yeah, this one I've had around a while, you know, it's whatever, I've gained weight, I've lost weight, whatever it might be, goodbye. And and I think I use that as an excuse to go play around yeah. and add to the wardrobe. So but I it, would have to say that's the guilty pleasure. It is uh, the guilty pleasure. And it's the thing that you won't necessarily put off saying, I'm not going to buy that for myself. Because I have a lot that's of right. these conversations, right? Where I'm like, eh, I'm not going to buy that. That's a, somebody can get me that for my birthday or something. Yeah. Um, it's because I already know I don't really need it. Yeah, yeah. Do you take yourself so okay out a lot? That. Food, movies, experiences. No, no, I used to. Not anymore, though. No. Okay. No, That's my I, thing. I find I'm too spoiled here. Food, I have definitely. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Really? No, for me, I am very minimal with the items, even with the shopping, because I actually don't enjoy shopping, so I don't care about that stuff. But uh, food is what I indulge in. Take myself out with friends or other excuses to go out to eat, but we'll spend, you know, like we'll spend on meals. And it's kind of like there's not even a lasting. <laughs> it's not even products where, you know, you have the, I collect this or I have this, I can wear this, I have kept this for a while. There's not even that in this experience. How much will you spend, like what? what's too much on a meal to go and have? I could, I could easily spend a hundred bucks on a meal. Like seriously? And you're okay with that, Yes, right? because I want to okay. try the desserts. I will try whatever the specialties are. If the appetizers are known uh, at this place to be really amazing, I will go and spend on it. That's, Yeah. And food is getting more and more expensive, so imagine oh. how much money I'm doling up on this. I've decided to cut back on that kind of thing in the nick of time. I think the pandemic helped a lot right. with me realizing, my gosh, I used to have to spend a Ooh. lot of money on food, one thing or another, especially when I was running back and forth to Toronto. Yeah, so, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And commuting. Yeah. 
Alrighty. Mm. Uh, one thing I won't spend on is first class on a plane, that's for sure. Let's find out what's coming up on There's the food show. On there. Maybe, oh, maybe. Really? Oh. How can you tell the difference between a genuine friend and someone who's not necessarily a true friend? We'll talk about it with Fern Lullum. Mary Mammoliti will stop by, and what today the discussion is is some tips from her for making the best soup this fall. And it's the staple on a Thursday, the roundtable conversation that Kelly McDonald facilitates with all those fantastic topics he's picked out for us. Mark Phoenix, old friend of the show, is going to join us on that roundtable. The Bank of Montreal, talking a little finance and, uh, I guess, pride. The Bank of Montreal has come out on top of J.D. Power's annual customer satisfaction survey. BMO unseated the Royal Bank, which came in a close second in this year's survey. CIBC was third. Tangerine Bank took the top spot among the mid-sized banks for the 12th year in a row. J.D. Power says its study found more customers have been paying fees over the past year for things like overdrafts, minimum account balances, and ABM fees. Nearly 80% of customers say the banks could do a better job at communicating how to avoid those fees. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. Yeah, avoid them, but also, you know, cut us some slack, honestly. Give me mm-hmm. back some of that NSF that you've been taking away. Um, I I am curious, Kels, on your end, does it surprise you? Also, things like, or uh, mentions of banks like Tangerine, to me, still feel kind of surprising because I'm thinking of them as newer banks. Obviously, that's yes. not necessarily the case anymore, but because we didn't grow up with it being part of that top three right, or top four that we're aware of, it feels so new. And I'm thinking, wow, they're catching up. I never know when a new bank comes in. I mean, sometimes you'll get this odd commercial that shows up, a bank of whatever. Yep. Um, it's not that I still think we have certain banks like, you know, that we don't or that have merged into others and been been absorbed. But yes, Tangerine is one of them. I think the only reason I'm most familiar with Tangerine is is the sponsorship with the, with the Toronto Raptors. Mm. But you know, it's that place where you don't hear a lot of layoffs discussions until Scotiabank this week, for example, with the bank. Um, I, I think of my costs, how much a month am I paying for, to, to the bank for the different fees and services? That's about the most. But as you say, really, I know of my BMO bank, Scotia, yada, yada, yada. Yep. No, no meaning to slight any others. But I think that's just natural since we have our bank and that's what we worry about. And until someone says, well, you know what my bank's offering? What? Yeah. Ooh, we don't jump ship. I was just going to say, we never really do that, right? Almost jump like politics, around. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's I was like going to say political. phone carriers, but yeah, politics, why not? Oh, uh, gosh. But you know what I mean? Like something sound enticing at the end of the day or at the end of the quarter or end of the year when you're judging financial institutions and it's enticing and it's interesting to think about. But honestly, like if you, whatever you step into when you first get that credit card, debit card, your relationship building with your financial institution, most likely you're not going to go hop around. Maybe different products, you know, as you get to uh, the time mm-hmm. when you figure out mortgages or lines of credits or et cetera, et cetera. But really, it's easier Usually to just it's stay when they with. get you mad, isn't it? Like when Usually. a bank really, when you've but had your problems when, or they've denied you for something and you go, I can go elsewhere. I know, but you'd rather fight it out with them than to try to jump yep. ship, as you said. Oh, it's so. too much of a hassle. Oh, to change checks, to get you, to get you all your creditors. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I'm saying, for the banks that we're with, they should just do better. Thank you very much. Get rid of yeah, those Yeah, they should NSFs. just desire to be as their ching Yeah, exactly. Ching. Exactly. Remember? 
Oh, man. Let's take a break now. Come back with something um, more entertaining than this, maybe. Audio entertainment. Mike Fair is kicking mm -hmm. off our Halloween fun by telling us about a BBC audio drama, The Exorcist, as well as the podcast that explores the creation of the movie. Interesting segues. We'll be right back. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Kelly, have you started watching anything or listening to anything horror spirit yet? Mm. Had an old-time radio show conference on Sunday and dwelled into four old-time radio shows, including Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. Um, what the heck was the first one that you might know? I'm just trying to think. Uh, we, we had a bunch of variety of shows from different series, such as The Shadow and okay. things like that, that kind of gave us that that feel. Uh, oh. Um, the Hangman's Rope, which Ooh. is another story that was big back back when, and we did God did that. So that's so these are all the repeat listenings, like what you call yeah, them classic are, this time around for you. No, no, they're, they are, okay. and they're just shows that were really kind of give give people the feel of that's a scary mm -hmm. time, you mm -hmm. know. But as for the traditional TV ones, movie ones, no, I I generally don't anymore. Um, okay. Yeah, I generally don't. There's the one that I always sometimes will, will Chucky, the Chucky series. I'll oh, put those on sometimes if I no, catch I'm them the because they remind me of my mother. They, they remind <laughs> me of my mother. She had a ball laughing at Not those. Not Chucky. Like Chucky doesn't remind you of your mother. You're saying, you know, it's no. in commemoration. So, watching it, watching it. Her and I used to watch it together. It was something she just, that could have been and taken all she very did is laugh through strangely. the whole thing. Yeah, no. Well, I don't know. My mom could have a strange sense of humor. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. back. Oh, dear. Yeah. All right. Well, this is the kind of thing we're going to be talking about now. But in terms of audio entertainment, Mike Fair has some lineups for us. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. It's the countdown to Halloween. So, Mike, you're bringing us a slate of audio entertainment of all kinds uh, that will lead us into Halloween, all the spooky uh, inspiration around this time of year. And today, you're kicking it off by telling us about a BBC audio drama, The Exorcist, as well as the podcast which explores the creation of the movie. I love this parallel stuff, by the way, when we have pods exploring movies and TV shows. Uh, there's a lot of nitty-gritty background stuff. So... What's your yeah. history with The Exorcist? Because it's not the first time it's come up on the show. Oh no, I've uh, I've had uh, back when I was growing up, I'd hear from people, you know, how upsetting The Exorcist could be to watch and how scary mm -hmm. it was. And of course, it was it came out when I was minus one year old, so you know, it was <laughs> I was born in seventy four, so I, I uh, was way too young, to, you know, to to partake in it until like t near twenty years later. So I uh, ended up reading the book as a young adult, and I heard about all how upset it made, especially religious people. Um, mm -hmm. And then I read the book, and I, I was really kind of like puzzled as to why. It really, I thought the book treated the subject pretty respectfully. So I, I never really did hear the whole movie until quite recently. Uh, and it does get you know more sensationalized in the movie, so yes. I can sort of see that. 
going to say, I think it was the movie, Mike, that upset people versus the book. Yeah. Yeah. That was certainly the impression I got. So uh, that was, it was an interesting kind of journey of, uh, of going back. And of course, now seeing these, uh, this adaptation that the BBC did, I, I had no idea when it came out in 2015, I didn't even realize it was the 50th anniversary of the exorcist until an article tweaked me to it earlier in the week. So yeah. So it, it's hard not to believe. Yeah. Like 50 years. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's been influencing horror movies ever since. Yeah, and, and it really did. It set a, such a trend for a lot that would come after, certain ones more than others, of course. So is the BBC adaptation based on the book or the film, Mike? It's based on the book, and I think that okay. was a good choice. The book really dives yeah. deeper into the characters, and you kind of get that maintained in the drama. So you really have a sense of, of the psychological stuff more. It, it sort of does has a very different style uh, that, that this uh, adaptation uh, chooses but yeah it's very very much based on the book rather than the movie mm. um i'm i want to know about the story mike if there's anything else you want to talk before that but if not so, get into it yeah okay so reagan is a 12 year old girl uh and uh, starts exhibiting really odd behavior knowing things she can't possibly know saying the most vulgar horrendous things uh and strange uh, things, objects move around her room. It seems like stuff is happening that is inexplicable. And so they try doctors, psychologists, everything. Finally, they go to Father Karras, who is a Catholic priest and a psychologist. And then he kind of skeptically comes into it. You know, there are usually, you know, you know, non-spiritual explanations for these, uh, for at least mental illnesses. And that's what he goes in expecting to find. But increasingly he finds that, oh, this this is stranger. This could actually be a real demon. And he ends up uh, deciding to perform an exorcism. So we follow him on that journey of, of you know, from struggling with his own faith to forcibly, you know, confronting this, this demonic presence. Okay. When you think about it, Mike, and, and we just asked the question a while ago, book versus the movie adaptation but was the drama in itself done well was it a good adaptation i would say yes yeah you know it, yeah. they they basically t did a very kind of minimalistic style uh they captured more of the characters and it yep. was more about that than less and less about portraying events so you kind of get more dialogue uh one thing they did that uh sarah really appreciated and uh, was that you got to hear from the people who were impacted as the, the psychologists, you know, some of the people who examined Reagan and how the, their encounter traumatized them, uh, encountering this demonic presence uh, through through Reagan and what that meant to them. So that was very kind of neat. Uh, and they went with a pretty minimalistic sound as as well, like they, nothing over the top. Oh. So it was mm -hmm. it was a very kind of psychological, cerebral kind of take on The Exorcist. Yeah. I love that it offers something different. Whether or not you uh, particularly enjoy or lean towards one or the other medium uh, or one or the other adaptation, the thing is that it's offering something different enough that you're not feeling like you're just experiencing the same in, in different ways, right? Yeah, and yeah. I wonder if that's because TV or film does more show than tell, Mike. 
Yeah, film really had to you had to show it, and and really uh, the author didn't see the book as as a spirit a horror book really when he wrote it. It was a right. spiritual journey, but of course the the director Mike Woodkins really saw the potential for a horror movie, and that's the direction he took it in. So, you know, it it was uh, already a step away from what the book portrays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great. How was the sound and music? You talked about a very, very minimal. interesting. Yeah, mm. it, it, it was kind of good environment, nothing over the top, nothing, you know, it was the actors always came first, minimal music uh, in this. It was mainly the sound, the, the excellent environments, uh, no big, huge effects. Everything was very kind of uh, underplayed so that you really focused on on the dialogue. I love that. I love when you just get little sounds that that venture in that just that room ambience, maybe a siren slowly in the background or just a car horn, like just little things that really make you feel in the present with uh, with with a program when they do that. Uh, let's talk since this really, as you said, showcased the acting. How was it? Oh, it was it was really, really good. Uh, all the actors did excellent American accents and no problems there. This, this was a British show. So that is an accomplishment right there. Uh, William uh, Glenister, uh, Robert Glenister, uh, did a really good job as Father Karras. Uh, you really got a sense of his journey and and his struggle with faith, even though it wasn't really mentioned uh, in in this interpretation. You still kind of felt that as he kind of ex- went through his journey, and uh, that's that's true of like instead of events, you got got you know recountings of events by actors, and, and they all kind of really gave that. Uh, you know, enough emotional gravitas so that you felt the, you know, the horror the characters went through by hearing mm. about the events rather than hearing the events act you know, portrayed, you know? That's an interesting portrayal, right? Because when you watch the movie, uh, any kind of horror movie or horror thing uh, visually, it's, yeah, you get all the visuals. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, that's it's what right I mean. And that's there. why it would be so different. And you can do that if you choose with sound, of course, mm. and, and take that away. But I think when you're looking at more tilting towards the book, you're going to go with those really key moments and things that people want to hear, the yes. reactions, the the thoughts inside the people's psychology heads. The psychology of it, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, you can really yeah. play it out. Timing is everything in, in, in that aspect, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's back to and that, it, you know, leaving it to our imaginations aspect. Yeah, and it's very well paced. So the timing is it's just spot on with what they did here. Good. Um, was the drama worth the price? Yes, you can get this for 13 uh, if, as a non-member from Audible or uh, it, uh, it was, uh, uh, what was it, 9 something, 9.95 as a member. So very reasonable. Uh, for those hours of just really well-produced audio drama. Uh, Sarah and I really enjoyed hearing this one. So Mike will indulge in audio entertainment and spend the money. $9, Mike will be considerate, careful of what he spends his money on. Ramya will go out and eat for $100 and not even give it a blink <laughs> an eye about it. There we go, Mike. Um, what can I, you tell I us can't... about inside? You've got to be too careful. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, I I do I do splurge from time to time myself. Um, audio drama uh, and books are my two vices. <laughs> uh, I think it's yeah. a good thing. It's something you keep and gives you a lot of continuing entertainment, unlike food, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell uh, us about? Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. What can you tell us about Inside the Exorcist? This is a really neat podcast. It's free, so it's not exclusive to Audible. You can find this in your podcast client or go to the link I provided. 
that'll be in the show notes. And uh, it basically explores the, the creation of the exorcist. So what happened while the creation took place and the lives of the people involved as they went through the process. And then afterward, what happened to these people after, you know, as time progressed in this, this in, immensely successful horror movie just developed a life of its own. And what did that do to these people? And it was, it was, it really told in a neat way, uh, kind of a unique style. And uh, so the host kind of relates things. And then you hear the audio is a huge presence in this. So you, you hear things happen. Uh, and, and the, uh, the host does all the voices of most of the people, except Linda Blair, Blair the actress who played uh, Reagan. Uh, she had an, a, a, another actress do that. But everything else was was this fellow, um, Mark Ramsey, and he just did a, a brilliant job of of uh, pulling you into this this story. And it really was told like a story, jumping around in time between people. Uh, really, really well done. Easily followed. Uh, you never felt lost. Uh, and it's it's got seven episodes, uh, and then two bonus. I just found about the the bonus episode. I don't know how I missed it. There's oh. one on the sound and the behind the scenes, and there's another one with uh, a producer of Fast and Furious, who is also oh. a big Exorcist fan, and they go into like how it influenced you know movies of today and continues to. So nice. you get a oh, lot yeah. of extra perspective there. So very nice, nice, totally free package from Wondery is the company that made this. And boy, did they, that, that was just, wow, what a find. Yeah. Mike, we got to let you go, but real quick, uh, would the pod attract an audience that isn't just about horror and just yes, this time because, of year? Yeah, because it, it really is, uh, it takes a broader perspective. And this movie had an impact on, on history and culture that is felt to this day. So it, it that goes that takes it beyond horror into mm-hmm. okay what what happens to these people who made this this phenomenon uh, that is still influencing things today and and what does it take out of you to do that and this this really explores that in a in a neat way that I think would captivate even non horror fans. Okay, Mike, this is awesome. Thank you so much for featuring this. We'll have something else to talk about next week. Absolutely, same realm. Mike Fair joins us for audio entertainment and tech. That's every Thursday and leading up to Halloween, we're talking audio entertainment that is spooky and horror. After the break, we have our bi-weekly check-in with Fern Lellum, and she's joining us from the UK, our bestie over there, and she's actually talking about besties in general. How can we tell the difference between good friends and someone who isn't necessarily a genuine friend? We'll be back to discuss that on Kelly and Romeo. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is Kelly and Ramya on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. We're live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on both networks. We're the network with the both channels. Ooh. Do I even work here? Anyways, on AMI, daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch repeats of the show as well, Monday to Friday. We're every eight hours on AMI-audio currently. And on AMI-tv, 10 p.m. Eastern and 1 a.m. Eastern time for the repeats of the show. Kelly McDonald, over to you. We welcome in Fern Lullum from the U.K. for our bi-weekly check-in. 
What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. And the one thing with doing that, having a chat with your bestie, is because you're pretty guaranteed that bestie is your friend. And today, we're talking to our best bestie from the UK all about the topic of friendship, Fern. We are indeed. You see, I think that friendship is a very underrated topic. We hear a lot, don't we, about romantic relationships, family relationships, but friendship is just left in the dust very often. And I think, I don't know about you, but in my experience, it can still throw up all kinds of issues and worries and anxiety. So I thought, let's just dive right into that today. Okay. Well, I'm kind of curious right off the top. Firstly, for you, what do you think are the key components of a healthy friendship? Ah, well, yeah, and this is something that is very different for everyone. So I would encourage everyone listening to kind of think about this for themselves, to think, what is a healthy, happy friendship that I want to be a part of? Because quite often we don't really define that in our own heads. But for me, I would say that a healthy relationship, a healthy friendship would be uh, all about kind of like open communication. There would be mutual respect in there. There'd be trust on both sides. It would be a two-way thing, so reciprocal. Um, and I think there would just be a lot of understanding and support in there. I, I think it's sort of striking that balance between having fun together and having a really good time together, but equally respecting each other's boundaries. And, you know, if somebody isn't comfortable with something, saying, okay, I get that too. Yeah, it sounds like the ideal checklist for a friendship, honestly. Thank you. So nice. I love it. <laughs> this is what I'm going to take around to find out if all my friends are true. Yes, but should. honestly, though, um, how can we tell? Because I think that there are lots of different ways that people become friends, lots of different reasons why we keep people in our lives or toss them. Um, and I'm wondering how people tell and how you think we can tell between someone who is a genuine friend or someone who is not necessarily a true friend in your life. Yeah, you talk about keeping people around. I think we're, there are so many of us that have friends that we have kept around for years mm -hmm. who we're not really sure if they're actually a friend. You know, we kind of look at our friendship and the times that we've spent together and go, mm, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. So there are a few simple ways to tell. Firstly, I would say just really pay attention to how do I feel after an interaction with this friend. If you are coming home in tears, if you are coming home feeling drained, if you're coming home feeling worse about yourself than before you went out the door, that's probably not a good sign. And really, you know, be honest with yourself about this, because like we say, there's so many, you know, we, we sort of say, oh, but I've been friends with them for years, you know, I've known them since school or whatever. That's not necessarily a reason to, you know, stay friends, stay in this relationship if it's making you feel bad. I also think if you're feeling excluded, I think this is very common in groups of friends. You know, if, if at some point people are doing stuff and they're not including you or you just feel like, you're you're somehow out of the loop you don't quite fit in that's another really good sign to think mm, is this is this the right sort of friendship for me or or am i kind of barking up the wrong tree here mm. a lot of time people say they feel like they're kind of not sure and they're guessing at hey this is or if something seems off we're quick to i wonder if i've done something well but because there's that closed off part to that friend that relationship it, it can be really hard so we talk a lot about communications and the other kinds of relationships that you, you, you mentioned earlier, as a matter of fact. So what role does communication 
play in maintaining strong friendships? Well, I think communication is so important for so many reasons, because as we've already kind of touched on, it's so easy to get things wrong in relationship, any kind of relationship, oh, right? We can I make guess. assumptions, we can think, oh, mm -hmm. what do they mean by this? And it's it's really easy to kind of get the wrong end of the stick. And so sometimes we do, just as hard as it is, we just need to have that conversation, need to grit our teeth and say, you know, let's be honest, let's talk about this. Um, I think another really important reason for communication, I think we all kind of experienced it during the pandemic, is connection you know like and it's so nice that there are so many ways that we can connect now whether that be online or texting or phone calls or whatever we need that communication to say to stay sort of bonded and connected with our friends that is really important and another thing is just to sort of figure out what we're both looking for from a friendship what are the expectations here because again it's it's so easy and I, I get this a lot I talk to a lot of people that sort of say oh well I'm just not getting what I want from my friendships and it's interesting because we very rarely have that conversation, do we, at the start of our friendship to say, what, what are you actually looking for out of this? You know, what, what do you expect? What, how often should we communicate? All that kind of stuff. And I know it's kind of a tricky question to ask, but if you need a reason or an excuse, then I would say, blame me. Sort of say, I was just listening to this radio show and this woman was talking about friendship. And I was just wondering, like, what do you think friendship is? And, and how, like, what do you expect from your friends? And just open up that conversation because it's mm -hmm. so, such an important one but it's one that we never really have. Yeah, exactly. And you never know what the other person is feeling or going through, like the other person in the dynamic that you're uh, exploring, but also other relatable experiences that people might have, you know, in similar vein, right? Uh, and this is one of those relatable things. If you have a fallout with a friend, we want to talk about the strategies that we can, uh, you know, take part in or share with each other about resolving these disagreements or conflicts that you've had in the past. Because, I, I mean, I think it's a spectrum how people have fallouts with friends. Sometimes it's just like a natural fallout. Other times some huge rift takes on. Uh, sometimes it's with friends that you've made recently. Other times it's with, you know, his, strong history of friendship. What do you say about these? Yes, that is so true. Every conflict is unique. I guess I would go back to the open communication. I think that is so important to sit down with your friend. Like I say, we don't like to do it. It's very awkward, but really listen and take turns in speaking so you're not speaking over each other but really try and hear them don't don't just listen to kind of respond and say you know get your point in and try and be right and all of the right you know all the stuff that takes over when we're in this awkward sort of argumentative situation really listen to what they're saying to you and take it on board and step into their shoes and say okay if just just for fun um i was in my friend's position right now what might I be saying? What might I be feeling about this situation right. to really uh, kind yes, of give you a yes. different perspective? And if you are somebody that really struggles with the actual having that conversation, I know how hard that can be. You know, we all know we should do it, but we find it very, very difficult. Write a letter, you know, write it down because that can help somebody to give them time to really process what you've said. It can give you time to think about what you want to say and word it in a nice way. But then also you can say to them, look, look, have a look at this, see what you think, and then let's have a chat about it because then it, it gives you a sort of a way in and then you can have a, a you know, an actual real time conversation about it. Sometimes that can just sort of help to ease you into it a bit more. Yeah. The hammer when you have 
something go down that just doesn't wash it, it creates the rift it, it, you know that's black and white it makes it easier to kind of like you know i'm done here with this or i've put up with a some of those straight more straightforward but unfortunately sometimes it, it is more difficult friendships can literally run their course so if it's really just not working should we ever end a friendship what you're trying to say, McDonald? It's like I said yesterday on the show, we do pay you, so there could be this bestie oh. thing where we have to reanalyze oh it, right? Oh, my goodness. Every two weeks. It's a real friendship if money's involved. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Is that one? <laughs> yes. I, 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 in all seriousness, joking aside, I would say yes. Yes, we should. Because we have this, you know, lots of ideas, don't we, in society about, and we hear it all the time, you know, relationships come and go, but friendship is for life. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? <laughs> you know, yeah. why do we put that burden on ourselves to say we must stay with this same group or, or this same person, this friend that we've had for years? It, it happens we grow apart you know just as in romantic relationships people are you know they're doing different things we, we you know we both sometimes just don't fit we're just not mm. a good fit for each other it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us or something wrong with them it just means that right now this isn't working let's call it quits and you never know sometimes they come back around again but sometimes it's better to just let it go rather than keep you know dragging it on and, and potentially making it even worse yeah and you know the the example that i think of at least in my own life is that people go through different stages, right? Like you go grow apart, exactly what you're saying about romantic relationships. People grow apart because they're going through a stage that you just can't fit in their life or vice versa anymore. And it's true that sometimes you find each other again. That's happened also with me. And um, it feels, you know, more organic and maybe you can rekindle and reconnect in ways that you did in the past. Or you have both grown together that it fits again, but it's not always the case. Mm. yeah no that's true and sometimes we just have to accept that yeah exactly and, and there's times there's only so much we can manage right some oh, people sure. you can't say hey you can manage 12 friends uh, you know you can manage two friends mm -hmm. and somebody might say no man i i want to be able to apply the best i can to one good friend yep and that's fair yes yeah exactly how about disability fern uh, bringing up this angle um how can it impact our friendships well, I think it can either have, you know, it can have really good um, implications or it can have some some harder ones. So I think the hard ones might be that there can be some misunderstandings or even some fear, like how do I address the, dis you know, if, if the person that you're, you're friends with doesn't have a disability and you do, people might sort of think, well, I'm not sure how to talk about it. They might be a little bit, you know, offish with you because of their own insecurities. You might find it's hard to express how you're feeling because that person doesn't always understand. Sometimes you might feel excluded because your friends are doing something that you can't necessarily join in with and you don't know whether to voice that you don't know whether to sort of say oh I can't do that can you know can we do something else because you don't want to be the nuisance you know of the group um but also it can like I say it can have some really nice um impl implications as well in the sense that you can be really connected I think I think it really when you talk about your disability and and you know some of the things that you struggle with it can open up this this kind of permission for vulnerability mm, with your mm -hmm. friend that your friend can then say actually these are the things that I struggle with. it might not have anything to do with disability but it, it just opens yes, up that yes. deeper connection between you and also I think advocacy it's really nice I don't know if you've experienced this but when somebody stands up for you and says hang on a minute this person you know this isn't right you can't treat this person like that right. how much of a good friend is that that's oh, just you feel man. so connected yeah that's yeah. right you certainly do uh, how about uh, as an adult how can we make new friends 
Well, yeah, I think online, it's so easy now to sort of go online and meet people and that can be really interesting and, and helpful. I think also just do what you love and connect with people, you know, challenge yourself to just talk to maybe just one or two new people and see how that goes. Because I think when you're doing what you enjoy, you're in the right place, you're going to meet people who share your values and your interests. You know, you've kind of put yourself on the right foot to begin with. Awesome. Amazing. Right, great. Well, what are the most important things as we sum it right up, Fern, to remember about friendships? I would say friendship is a two-way street. It's give and take. It's not always going to be perfect, but it, it requires patience um, to build up a really meaningful connection. But when you have it, it's amazing and it's so worthwhile. And like you said, Kelly, it's about quality, not about quantity. Okay, friend. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Well, as usual, excellent stuff. Thank you so much. I'm glad I'm still your friend. <laughs> well, as long as you're getting paid. That's what I was just going to say. As far as we know, and then the money still comes in. <laughs> that's our finance department. You never know. Um, Fern Lullum joins us every other Thursday opposite What in the World right here on Kelly and Ramya. There's a new memoir that's coming out on Tuesday, and it serves up life lessons from uh, people's childhood experiences, Chinese-American experiences, from a Chinese restaurant. It sounds really intriguing. We're going to more, talk more about this and a couple other articles with Bill Shackleton next on The Buzz. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. It's a given that you'll make some kind of friend or, you know, keep connections a bit easier when you're all trapped in the same space, eh, Kels? That's why school is so much easier, like particularly high school or places uh, where you're seeing each other every single day, nine to three. That kind of thing. Well, and you're very accepting of people when you're younger, like yeah. grade one, two kind of Because you want to make but friends. Best friend, well, yeah, and your best friend in grade one is not going to be your best friend if you label people like that mm. in, in grade eight or when you're 29 or 40. You don't right? have it's... best friends anymore? Yeah. Well, some people Never been a best friend kind of person. Okay, yeah. But yeah. then as you get older, and even as school changes, right? Like you're skipping around, jumping around, facilities are bigger and there's less of that we're in the same space all the time. Coworkers, will mm. you, are you one to adapt to friendships with coworkers? With coworkers or does it have to be when you're yeah. having a hobby or on a team or yeah. something like that? Do you go and pal around with everybody afterward or are you that, hey guys, that was nice, exactly, see ya? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the dynamics of friendship definitely do change uh, and, and spill into other things well, as we get older. And some people want to have Tons of friendships where others may say, well, yeah, well, these but are acquaintances, but people not are acquaintances. Yeah, man. Exactly. And this is my friend. Exactly. Oh, am I your best friend? Don't get crazy. Types of friends, right? <laughs> this is another big conversation nowadays. Like your friend who you can have a philosophical chats with, but then your friend who is a, your ride or die, you know, your honest yeah. friend, your historical friend, somebody who's known your you for a really friend, long time. Somebody you go run or mm. do stuff like. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're talking that kind of. Again, we go back to the quality of what, what that person is, that yep. connection, and yep. um, the associate that what you associate with that person. Not you know, everyone that, can be everything to you. Club or no, 
Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's at a book club or that person you go to the gym and play squash with. Yep, there you go. We can't pick this for uh, Cut for Time tomorrow because we've already used up all this extra time or talking about it. the heck out of that. <laughs> I oh, know, man. exactly. All right, let's get into the buzz then. Uh, to wrap up this first hour of Kelly and Ramia, we bring on Bill Shackleton. He brings us the buzz. He also brings us the best of the buzz, which is like a, a compilation of the buzzes throughout the month. And Billy, we go through some articles that you've picked up for us. So where do you want to start? Well, this first one you we teased. Um, a new memoir serves up life lessons from a childhood in a Chinese restaurant. Um, so the actual title of the memoir is "Everything I Learned." I learned in a Chinese restaurant. Very fascinating. Uh, written by Curtis Chin, who is a Chinese immigrant, and basically, the the memoir came about. I mean, you've all, we've all heard the, 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 the saying, don't talk to strangers. Mm -hmm. Well, his parents said, why not? Basically, they told him that if you don't talk to strangers, you'll only, you won't learn about life. You only learn about mm -hmm. life inside the four walls of the restaurant. So what this, what would happen was when someone would come into the restaurant and slash delicatessen, his father Mr. Chin's father, as a, as a growing boy, would say, come on over here, guys. And he would encourage people to talk about life growing up in Detroit and the tribulations, um, the good and the bad times people had um, as a kid and as an adult. And so over the years, he, Curtis Chin, has taken those stories that people have told him and his father um, and written a memoir. And the story, of course, is told from the perspective of um, the people in the restaurant. And Curtis Chin also woven into the memoir his life as a Chinese immigrant and coming out as a gay person. And I think it's a fascinating. I mean, it is available on Audible and Amazon.ca. Nice. Might be an interesting read. Very much so. Does it talk about the um, approaches, like how he wrote this book, the the tone and delivery of these experiences? Yeah, because um, as a memoir, I'm I'm thinking there's a chronological to it. Mm -hmm. I would like, like yeah, to well, think they, yes, in the first well, person. There's three. Um, he doesn't call them chapters. He calls them menus. So there's three Which chapters of. That's I think, sweet. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Eight yeah. stories in each one, like in each right, chapter. Like so right. Wow. Your cocktail, so, your main, and your dessert. That well, that's what he what he calls it. Is interesting is he doesn't call it chapters in the book. He calls it menus, of course. Yeah, because you're doing relating with the back. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I wonder when he travels. So, when he travels, if people say, "Are you the man from Detroit?" You know, I'm sure they. Yeah, say I don't know. Remember that Billy? one? <laughs> yeah, guy said that to Billy and I once. He looked at me and said, "Yeah, are you the man from Detroit?" And Bill yeah. and I have never stopped laughing about that, have we, Bill? Anyway. Yeah. Um, it, the the thing I really love about this bill is that going back to what his father said, talk to Bill. Yeah. Because oh, I yeah. start thinking mm -hmm. about how we were told as children, be careful, don't talk to strangers. Right. But but did you really live that, Bill? I mean, if somebody come up to you, hello, young man, you didn't just. I'm not supposed to talk to strangers, even though we do pretend that on TV and that you answered because you. The next thing told to you by your parents was you're being spoken to. Speak up. Mm, yeah. Right. Um, um, you may be wary. You may have been nervous. You may have been scary. But what lessons with these conversations that this child 
as he grew older and comfortable to approach people to talk. And especially when you talk somebody who English isn't his first language necessarily, but um, and I, I mean, I don't know that. I'm sure we discover that in the memoir. But to, to learn English that way, to learn about slang, to learn, about, I don't mean cursing. I just mean the way people speak. Yes, yes. Um, the, the the things that people do, the other cultures. Oh, well, he's an Italian gentleman. He, you know, at the time, you would get so many life lessons without leaving your restaurant and learn about, you know, about history, learn about geography, because people coming in, settle back, and as long as you're not obviously being a nuisance, you are listening in, you are involved in. And I, I think that's amazing, Billy, and I'm sure you kind of get this reflected in this memoir, and that's probably what's really making it you know, interesting. Read the mm. memoir from Man from Detroit. Yeah. It's it, yeah, you know what's interesting is how we got people to talk. I mean, when you go into a restaurant, you're not going to talk about. I mean, today, and I, I guess it's a different time, a different era. It is, yeah. Probably but, different type of restaurant. Know. As a delicatessen, more like you know Schwartz's delicatessen in Montreal or something like that. You're going to get a lot of that because, and especially at that time, you get to know servers. You did exactly. And that's what you did. You, people weren't Regulars. so afraid of you know. Hi, how are you? You mm-hmm. you, you talking to me? Why? Oh, yeah. It wasn't like that. We're definitely thinking about it as nowadays, right? Because even, you know, you get into uh, an Uber or a cab or something, Mm. it is so inappropriate or taboo to ask people their background and where they're originally from or where their parents are from. There's a lot of this kind of, um, you know, back and forth now about is it appropriate, is it inappropriate, all of this. But in this memoir, we're hearing about the father encouraging it, right? Ask about people's backgrounds, talk to them about where they're from, because I want you to explore more, expand your world, uh, worlds. And I think that there's some kind of interesting perspective to this because they're also in this article talking about how he explores these giant hard-hitting issues like racism and uh, homophobia and social justice issues but does it in a way that he's coming from like i don't know a more patient empathetic point of view it's not a you know a a preachy like take my perspective as yeah yeah, There's I think that's because gospel. he would have been handed all those, wouldn't he, Billy? In, in talking to people, you know, you may talk to two people from the LGBTQ community and you get three or four different perspectives, one from each or a, a, a black gentleman mm-hmm. in, the, in the restaurant, whatever it might be. And I think that helps you be comfortable, be uh, all right with asking questions. And if a person says, well, I'm not comfortable answering, okay, you don't take it. Oh, well, I didn't mean any offense. I didn't mean... You you understand that that doesn't mean... Yep. That's they're just not ready to share. No. Sorry, Bill, you were saying. Yeah, no, there, there are two things that come that he wants people to understand with about this memoir. First of all, um, he wants people to understand the Chinese experience, the the immigrant experience, mm. yep. and more importantly, he wants people to know that Detroit, you know, it 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 didn't always have a very good. It wasn't necessarily a good place to go. Mm. Was right. it? Was it not? And and it was. It was very rough pe- in that time yeah. period. Oh, yeah. 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 It was interesting. At the wants, end of yeah. He go wants ahead. people. He wants people to. There is a good side to Detroit, and yeah. that's what he wants people to understand it, it, from the memoir. Interesting because I think, and I'm two hours from Detroit, and 
a lot of London, Ontario's influence has has been Detroit since I was right. a little boy, whether it's watching television or whatever. And a lot of what we would see of Detroit and hear of Detroit is the black community, the white community, which is, yep, is, is smaller than the black community, but not so much your, your Hispanic or your Asian community particularly. So this is very fascinating, which is, I'm sure, what intrigues a lot of people and the comforts for, for someone to come up and who are you and where do you come from? What are you asking me? Right. But again, yeah. different time where you sat in a delicatessen restaurant and did talk to people. You weren't afraid that if someone looked over at you, what are you looking at? Mm -hmm. Even though it was a rough yeah, time that's... in Detroit, there would still be those those 1970s, 80s norms that you spoke of. Yeah. Bill, Bill we have like two and a half minutes. You want to give us one more? Oh, yeah, we can. <clears throat> can um, can New York mayor speak Mandarin? No. <laughs> but with AI, he's making robocalls in different languages. I Here you go, Rum. Here you go, Rum. Yeah, it's a real obsession life. strikes again, Billy. Let's get into this. Her real thing. life example. Go. Yeah, I kind of like this one. Basically, the, the yeah. mayor of New York is making robocalls and what he's doing. But he's promoting um, special events in, the events in the city. And he's doing it in different languages so that people, if you're Yiddish, um, and I think I think he's trying to be inclusive here. And yes. when you when when you get this call in Yiddish, it makes you feel important because somebody's caring about what you do and 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 who you are. And it's doable, this, Bill. Yeah, yeah like us will, finding a braille menu, Billy. It's doable yeah. these days. It's no longer a trick where someone's got to you know sit there and get in a dark room and do magic to get a braille script yeah. or a, a braille menu. This stuff is so doable thanks to Rumia's friend AI. <laughs> And he can do it, and he's saying, I want to include. Yeah, These are the right. positives. Go on, Bill. Yeah, well, you hear so many negative stories about it. And, of course, there's a watchdog in New York that is saying that it's unethical. It maybe, maybe not. But I like the idea of what he's doing. I think he's using it for good. I don't know Me what too. their idea of unethical is, but the reason why this oh. would be a bit annoying or... Oh, for sure, annoying. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, it would make you raise your eyebrows a bit because if I knew that the mayor couldn't speak Thummim, but he was calling, <laughs> these robocalls were calling in Thummim, I would almost feel that it's disingenuous, you know? Yeah, like, well, it oh, is. for but it, That's why they're purposes. saying that about him. Yeah. Right? They're yeah. calling him out because people want to say it's disingenuous. However... Our society in no time, you got to ignore that because in no time this will be acceptable because oh, yeah. now you're oh, no, saying, hey, I'm calling Ramya to tell her about the places to go to to get checked out for COVID. We're having another yeah, whatever. Yeah, but that's this informational, is whereas that's this wonderful. is politics. As soon as you start thinking well, politics, political regime, or yeah. uh, you know, campaigning, you start to just feel like, oh, it's a little I, sneaky. Well, regardless, he's doing that for his own to look better, period, whether it was about yeah. COVID, whether yeah. it was, but the point is, it is a step in the direction of, well, hold on. If he can do that for that reason, mm -hmm. we can inform citizens. Uh, I'd be more annoyed with the bottom line. I'm not interested in that concert. Get off my phone. Yes, yes, I yes. ran to get oh, this. God. Th that Scam would be calls a are about to get but, real bad. Oh, my goodness. But I love the idea that he can personalize it somehow, the AI can, and people get yep. information that they've been so far excluded oh, from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to oh, get beautiful. a lot more. A lot more of our politicians, that's for sure. Rum, go make some Yiddish calls, so. will you? <laughs> What's up, Billy? 
Yeah, we're going to get uh, that's just a, a, the beginning anyway. So exactly. people got to come together. People got to realize that this is going to happen. Oh, yeah, it's yep. happening already. Yep. Billy, we, we got to go. Oh, people will be being praised in six months for it. So I don't know why they're on. His yeah, back. praised yeah. or we're going to just turn off our phones altogether. Talk to no, you tomorrow, you Bill. You'll, you'll do that already. Okay. <laughs> Bill Shackleton on the buzz. We're wrapping up there. He'll be back tomorrow for the Friday edition. Same time. Same place. And in the second hour of Kelly and Ramia, we have our weekly roundtable. We're joined by Mark Phoenix for that. Also, Curious Minds with Christine Malik, where we're talking Be My AI. So ChatGPT is going to come up again. But up next, Mary Mamaliti is giving us all the goods on soups because it's that time of the year. We will be right back. And Bill tomorrow in Italian using AI. <laughs> no. <laughs> Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. bit of a refresh as we kick off the second hour of Kelly and Ramia. You know, for a while we were podcasting hour one and hour two separately, so we really had to let you know this is the second hour. But we know you'd rather listen to the whole show because there's a variety of content that you want to like check out and get informed about all kinds of things. And that's why the whole two-hour show is to your benefit. I'm Ramia Amadin with Kelly McDonald, and welcome back. Thank you, folks. And, of course, we can't get through a show without mentioning something to do with food. So on mm-hmm. Thursdays, when we're extra hungry, we get a little assistance. Let's get cooking with Mary Mammolini of cookingconfession.com. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mammolini, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and, of course, some delicious recipes. Sorry about that, Mayor. Kitchen confession. <laughs> it's like it's not like it's something new to me, right, Mayor? It's like I was. Go- we're gonna get cook. Go- 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 go. uh, sorry, Mayor. <laughs> Next time, it's just we're talking food. That's it. <laughs> uh, thanks, uh, uh, Confessions Cooking Com. Uh, <laughs> how are you, Mayor? Today we're gonna get into your soups, aren't we? Yes, it is soup season. Soup season. And I absolutely love this season. Every season is soup season. No, no, no. It's actually, they call it the second season for baseball right now. Oh, 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 the fall classic. Oh, okay. But but, I will say most people have soup while watching their their fall classic. So uh, what's the number one tip for making the best ever soup? Amuthan probably already thinks she knows this, but uh, go and pop her bubble here, please. I'm here to be open-minded and take suggestions. I'm, I'm sure you probably already do know this or you have your own um, little uh, trick. But today what I thought I would share is a guaranteed way to make an amazing soup is to start with homemade broth and stock. Oh, um, right? I'm it, already just, lacking. Already. <laughs> I mean, I know, but it sounds more difficult than it is. It's actually really simple. So whether it's beef, chicken, veggie, it really is easy to make and it adds so much more flavor and it doesn't take long. So get yourself a couple of chicken legs. If you want to make a chicken stock, uh, get some celery, some carrots, onions. You don't have to chop these up fine. Throw them in in chunks. Get a couple of bay leaves in there, some thyme, some rosemary, of course, salt and pepper. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to add cold water. Uh, add everything to a large pot or a Dutch oven if you have it. Pour that cold water over top of all those ingredients. Set the pot over medium heat and then slowly bring it to a boil. 
Okay, we want it to boil. We don't want it to kind of boil over because then we're going to reduce that heat. And then we're going to simmer for about three to four hours on low heat. Once it's done, strain the stock and then just store it. Like you can put it in mason jars if you have. Um, I've even take I've even froze them in uh, re re reusable Ziploc bags. Oh, I have oh, heard right. of this, yep, like yep. ice cube trays and such. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long does it store if you're refrigerating? Uh, it can store for for months, several months. Okay. Oh no, sorry. If you're freezing, if you're refrigerating, I would use it within a week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. soup week. Yep. It's soup week. If not, honestly, I would freeze the rest. Mm -hmm. It's just so easy. I mean, when I say I freeze it into reusable Ziploc bags, I pour it in, I lay them flat. So I make sure that they're sealed, and then I lay them mm -hmm. flat and yeah. freeze oh, them yeah. on a baking sheet. I put them in the freezer in a baking sheet. So this way, when they freeze, they're flat, and you can just stack them. Yes. Yes. Wow. It doesn't occupy all this space in your freezer. Your yeah. uh, freezing suggestions in, in any context are so good, Mary, and so detailed. So does that mean you're going to go out and buy a bigger freezer now so you can do all Probably. this Probably. I need a second freezer for real. Yeah. Um, so, Mary, you're the person we need to ask this question to, okay? We need serious mm -hmm. clarification. What are oh, the differences sure. between soups and stews, stock and broth, or cream puree and bisque? That is a fantastic question. Okay, so basically soup, it's a combination of foods, meat, fish, vegetables, um, any type of beans, grains, etc. Right, so they're all cooked in broth, stock, bouillon, or water. Um, and then they're meant to be left as this original thin state, so like this clear state, they're very light, they're very fluid. Mm -hmm. When it's a stew, right, so the stew basically has the same ingredients, as the soup does, but it does differ because it's usually cooked in a covered pot for a much longer period of time and at a lower simmering temperature because you want the stew then it cooks in that liquid and all its natural juices and it actually thickens up, right? So yeah, you want it, it to thickens, kind of boil yes. down. That's right. You get a thicker end product result in soup. I um, often compare stews to curries. I feel like they're absolutely. the exact same thing, but from different parts of the world. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's Perfect. And then there's stock or broth. So stock is generally made from bones and broth is generally made using just the meat or the fish that you choose to use. So oh. in both meat, in both, the meat is often simmered with vegetables, but the stock is typically left unseasoned. It's for flexibility within recipes, right? So whereas the broth, it'll usually contain at least salt and pepper. Mm. Yep. Yep. Right. So then, yeah. I mean, both they can be enjoyed on their own as a base for soup, sauces, gravies. Right. Uh, right. But there is there is one more I want to add to the mix here. Consomme. <laughs> so oh my. it's oh, a more. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It's a more refined broth. It's clarified through additional straining processes and, and then it's cooked down for a more concentrated flavor. Right. So that's something they usually make in restaurants. Uh, it's not typically made at home, but a lot of people do do make it. Now, the okay. difference awesome. between, right? Then, now yep. we're going to talk That's about awesome. creams. Yes. The difference between like cream, puree, and bisque. <laughs> These are all considered thick soups, right? So cream soups, they rely on a combination of milk or cream and flour, which is, or your roux, for the base of the soup. While a puree, it's thickened with the starch of the vegetable source. So whatever vegetable you're making in there, you use that. Okay. A bisque. Is a creamy soup that's made with shellfish. So like lobster, right. shrimp, crab. It's just creamy in texture. And then it has the ingredients blended in. 
it's just so good. I love it. Lobster bisque. Me too. And, the, yeah. and that's what I was going to say. That's kind of the easier because we get the name lobster bisque or whatever. But the others really kind of throw, yeah. throw me off. That's for sure. Okay. Um, now, I want to be careful here because things happen yeah. in the kitchen. So what if Kelly strikes and we accidentally <laughs> oversalt the soup? Or Ramya gets <laughs> no distracted and burns it. Oh, right. Okay, that's, oh, that's an actual gosh. problem. <laughs> Can well, it honestly, be salvaged? It can. So even the most experienced cooks, they sometimes ruin the soup. So it doesn't happen. So, but if the smoke detector, I do want to add, is blaring, that's a good sign. <laughs> Toss it out. It's beyond yeah. repair. And, and call your neighbors okay. and get out too, Rum. Just leave. It's yeah. done. <laughs> However, I do want you to keep in mind that if you catch it in time, there are there is hope. You can salvage it. So let's start with too much salt. Try adding a okay. potato to it. Honestly, oh, yes. peel a potato, yes. Yes, cut it into large chunks, toss it in. That potato, it'll absorb much of the salt. Okay, but then, but I do want you to remember, before you serve it, remove those potatoes. You don't want to keep those potatoes in. Or oh, okay. if you want, try, yeah, and if it's cream uh, or a milk-based soup, try adding milk or yogurt. That'll help maybe reduce the salty flavoring to it. Mm. Won't re- we won't remove anything, but it'll reduce the saltiness. You're just basically diluting it, right? In that pretty point? much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. So if the soup has started to burn, this is where we want to really immediately. You want to take it off the heat, transfer it to another pot, keep whatever pours out freely. Do not, I repeat, do not try and rescue the ingredients <laughs> that don't easily come off the bottom of the pot. And I'm laughing because all of us do it. Yes. It's happened. I've done it. Oh, I, I think this is ready to drop off. I can take this. Yeah, get that. Those, those ashes. Just maneuver around them. I move all my You're burnt really rice to that, a new yeah. burnt rice oh, scenario. Yeah. Wet ashes. <laughs> right? You're elbow deep into this pot, scraping the bottom. Like, it's good. It's good. It's so good. It's not. We're going to leave it The bottom it in of there. the pot tastes all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So if the soup that you've salvaged, it has a distinct burnt flavor to it, this is what you can do. You can try and disguise it by adding maybe another smoky flavor. Uh, you know, add a little bacon or a little ham. That may add to that smokiness. It'll help. Um, remember, we're trying to salvage what we have. I'll I'll be able you to could tell. only do this. You could only do this really with soup. Anything else you burn, you know, exactly. oh, it's overdone, it's, it's whatever. Yeah. Soup, it's you could done. only hide. Let's see if we mm. can hide this. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything else you burn, you can maybe pass it off as a crouton. I don't know. but That's right. I'll put the soup in Jeff Ryman's smoker and see what it does to yeah. it, you know. That's it. And see what happens. Smoke paprika. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could try again, the potato trick to absorb some of yeah. that burnt taste. Um, and this is again, we're trying to salvage what we have. But this, I mean, who if it's eats past- those potatoes afterward <laughs> after these two stunts, Mary? <laughs> well, I'm sure you have some way you would be able to use them, you know? Uh, you, maybe. Um, <laughs> I only put a couple in. So <laughs> look, see, I just, I just outed myself. I've done this. I only, I've only put a couple in, um, and it's helped. Uh, and I think, it, you know, turn off the heat and remove the pot from the burner. If it's stuck, now you want to clean up. This is where cleanup comes in. To make it easier, what you can do, there's remnants left at the bottom of the pot. Fill the pot. You don't want to toss it out. Let's try and save our pot. Toss it, you know, fill it with about a quarter full of hot water. Um, Add some, oh, what's it? Oh, my gosh, it just slipped my mind. Baking soda? Baking soda? Yes, jeez, it was was at the tip of my tongue. Baking soda. It wasn't coming to mind. Mm. Add some baking soda to it, boil it, and it should come off. Okay. 
The other one that I really do, and I love this one is, again, you fill the pot with some hot water, but a quarter way full, add a dishwasher tablet and then allow it to soak overnight. Honestly, it will clean it. Hmm, Brand spanking. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it works beautifully. A couple of soup okay. tips I just want to share quickly because yep. I know I keep on chatting on here about soup because I love soup. For a shortcut, when your recipe calls for broth and you don't have any homemade on hand, always keep, I don't know if you ever use this product, better than bouillon. Easy. So this, it's so good. Mm -hmm. It's just, right? Keep it in your pantry. It's add a scoop to your soup. Just add water. The better in bouillon, the reason why I suggest this one, it's the roasted chicken base and is made with roasted chicken. So it gives a richer, more robust flavor than the ordinary bouillon would. So it's a great tip, right? Quick tip. You can Mm -hmm. add it to your soups. Garnish. Garnish your soups with seasoned croutons. Turn those old bread a day-old bread into delicious croutons or Costco mm. does have this focaccia croutons. I don't know if anyone's ever tried them, um, but they're delicious and they have a long shelf life. Nice. So it's a big bag, but you can top it on everything mm. or dollop a sour cream, dollop of yogurt, nuts, tortilla on top, chives, parsley, dumplings, anything goes. Season canned soups for like an almost homemade effect. Add spices like thyme, basil to maybe plain tomato soup, Add Italian seasoning to some canned minestrone. gives it a little bit of life. Um, whenever possible, prepare your soups ahead of time to allow those flavors to meld together. And that's that goes with anything. Even when we're making chili or any type of sauce, a pasta sauce, I love letting it sit there because it'll melt together and gives it more flavor, more depth. Okay. Mary, to give prevent, us one more tip. Okay, last one. Let's do prevent curdling of cream and soups. Don't overheat it. Keep the soup at a simmer, not a boil when cooking. Also, too much salt or acid in the soup, it can also cause curdling. Yeah. Awesome, Mayor. Fantastic. And oh, so good. Uh, appreciate the uh, organized thought with this and helping us and putting up with a kind of like, oh, whoa, through all that. But uh, get, <laughs> uh, get enjoying and cuddling up to your soups, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Mary's back with us next Thursday on the program, as she is every week, and we talk food, of course. Uh, check out Mary's discussions and recipes on Kitchen Confession. Also, find episodes of the Kitchen Confession podcast using your favorite podcast platform. After the break, we're checking in with Christine Malik, who's here for Curious Minds, our monthly segment where we dive into anything that we're curious about. And she's going to bring up Be My AI again. This is the partnership between Be My Eyes and ChatGPT. We'll talk more about our experiences because we're obsessed after the break. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Caitlin's on audio today, and she's being very generous with us, Kels, over the um, breaks, letting us chat well, on and on and on oh, and on. I know. Jordan just cuts us right off. <laughs> it's just it's right 15 off. seconds in a lot. Boom, it's we're back over the It's nonsense anyway. It just oh, clicks boy. us off. But Caitlin's like, yep. okay, you guys done yet? You want to finish laughing? Now, the now joke, punchline? still being silly and yeah. ridiculous and uh, <laughs> bothering everybody in the control room? She's so kind. She's so generous. We appreciate you, Caitlin. All oh, right. Let's get into Curious Minds. This is our monthly segment with Christine Malik. I'm Christine Malik, and this is Curious Minds, our dive into arts, culture, and science from a blindness perspective. 
Chris, it doesn't surprise me that you want to continue our conversation on Be My AI, Chat GPT, and Be My Eyes partnership. Um, what's been going on? You're obsessed as I am about it still? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. So I'm going to give a little backstory just in case, you know, if you're in my social circle, there's no way you don't know what this is because <laughs> I'm talking to everybody. But in case this is uh, a new thing, Be My Eyes has partnered with ChatGPT so that within the Be My Eyes app, you can say, go to a tab that says describe with an AI and you get an artificial intelligence generated um, description of a photo or whatever you've uh just taken a picture of and i've been i've been going crazy yeah mm. okay yeah so have we all and so, it, it's, uh, expands i'm curious expands. as to uh i'm curious chris for you why why do you feel you're going so crazy with it is it that forbidden fruit um i'm st- i'm kind of thinking so like i Honestly, I, the novelty might wear off. It's possible you think that so? the novelty will wear I don't know. I'm not sure yet. It hasn't. I mean, it I, hasn't, I think but... it would. I would think in, in theory it would. But right now, because there's so much, mm. it, it's so mm-hmm. new. But also, it's going to develop. We keep hearing yep. this stuff. Yes. Every time there's yes. something AI is being used for and developed and doing better. And as you keep teaching it, like there's certain yes. things I'm excited to see what this will do. From, but for you, yeah. so do you think that's what it is, the forbidden fruit? And it's so wildly new and never been done, never been thought you could do this before? Yes, yes. And the privacy as well, right? You can, mm. it's, yes, all, yes. it's all just yeah. in the privacy of your of your own mind and your own phone, even though, you know, it's being shared with the whole wide internet. Um, it feels like a private, it feels like a private yep. experience. Yeah. 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 Without so, having to ask somebody else to do it. Right. I don't have to say thank you. I don't have to go, "Mm," you know, and be interested. I can just sneer if I want and not have to censor my reactions. So recently I, uh, it was a big summer for traveling for me. So I I took a trip to Vancouver and I went crazy. I've become my own worst nightmare. I'm snapping photos all the time. So in the plane, um, I was really curious about this. So every half hour, not knowing what I was taking pictures of, Mm. just every half hour, I'd stop whatever I was doing, put my phone to the, um, you know, one problem is I got 50 photos of the wing, uh, so you just never know because <laughs> you can't process them in real time. But um, I do have a couple of images to share with some interesting tidbits in them. And each of them has a, an extension because I asked it a, a question, which kind of got seamlessly integrated. So let's check out image one and its accompanying description. The picture you've shared is an aerial view taken from what seems to be an airplane. The top two-thirds of the image is dominated by a clear blue sky. As you move towards the bottom third of the image, you can see the curvature of the earth and the horizon where the sky meets the land. The land below is a patchwork of green and brown fields. The fields are varying in size and shape, and it looks like a mix of agricultural land. The image gives a sense of vastness and open space. The curvature of the earth refers to the slightly curved line where the sky meets the land or sea and it's visible especially from a high altitude. In the picture, this is seen as a gentle curve at the point where the blue sky starts to meet the land. It gives the impression that the Earth is round, as opposed to a flat surface. This curvature is more pronounced when you are at a higher altitude, like in an airplane, as it is in the picture you shared. Mm. So, Chris, so there's a bunch of did, things did you that interrupt strike twice? me in there. Did you ask two Pardon? things with that? Did no. you ask two things, or just the one? No, what just the, the one. I asked about the curvature because mm-hmm. I thought that was yeah. extremely interesting. Now, yes. the, the point about this, 
cited people who looked at that photo said it's not visible. It's totally making that up. So if you were way higher up, then yes, you would see the curvature of the earth, but apparently in the photo, no, it's just not, mm. this is what I'm getting from sighted friends. So I was curious enough about the curvature that I wanted to know more. And so is I asked Is that like more, the guessing I, of the plane too? Or, or do you think it caught part of the plane in, in the picture? I think like there may have been part it. of the plane and it was just high up enough, right? It was, right. I think yeah. that what else could my you guess be in, is that right? a balloon or what else would I be doing, right? Um, in a eagle's area or something. But so I think like all of my photos from a plane, it definitely, you know, knew or had a good guess that I was in a plane. But the, the aerial part, the curvature part mm, totally um, mm -hmm. made that up, which is part of what, you know, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware that it wants to tell me a story. It wants to give me some fun. It wants to show me a good time. It's trying hard to do something. And where that's going to end up, I don't know. Where it is right now, I'm not crazy about. But I feel like it's a somebody learning and, yes. and trying to do something. Do you get that sense too? Oh Ryan yeah. And Kelly? Yes. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll give you more about that in a second, but just to go back to this image while it's fresh in our minds, what uh, details or what strikes you? You were saying that there are several things that strike you mm. about this. The level of detail. So it's, it's giving me, so this was mm, Western Ontario, I would say. So that's probably, you know, the Great Lakes uh, region. Again, maybe it's just making stuff up and, and hallucinating. Um, the uh, the continuous editorial, breathtaking. If I get the word breathtaking, you know, every <laughs> single yeah. airplane photo, right. it had the word breathtaking. <laughs> and I think we can all agree that it's incapable of describing a living room without using the word cozy. Mm -hmm. That's just right in its vocabulary. But the, um, and, and this part's something that, that JJ brought my attention to. So JJ Hunt and I have done a two-part episode on AI for the Talk Description to Me podcast. And I hadn't thought much about this, but when, a, when an audio describer is describing an image they look at composition. Mm -hmm. So what to, what to mention first, yes. like what's in the foreground, what's in That's the background, right. what's important, what to focus on. And so composition and detail and, you know, it's got good grammar. It reads really well. Uh, and it's trying, it's trying hard to give me a happy, a happy experience by, right. by calling. Uh, and this is the way I felt last time we spoke about this. The way it presented to me was like listening to JJ. Because I thought of yeah. this even yesterday with when he was describing and talking to us here on the show, it reminded me. And when you asked the question about curvature, it did the same thing. Do I, as much as sighted people may say to you, well, I don't see the curvature. I'm not really sure, though, what a camera eye sees. And from the way you're holding it and so on. To the human eye looking at the picture, knowing I'm looking down on the ground, um, I have to wonder where that comes from. Like, why... The embellishment that way, just because you're in a plane, just be, I, I still don't quite buy that. I just wonder what kinds of things. I mean, the description thing, like you said, the usage of the words, oh, definitely. Oh my gosh, stop with that. It's definitely to give you that feeling. <laughs> it mm -hmm. interests me that the curvature was the thing selected, but yet people can't see that. So I would love to know yeah. what what someone creating the AI. No, you know, why, well, why would it do that? Why would it make that up? It definitely gave us more background than we may or may not deem necessary, right? Like it described sure. the photo, but it also gave us context. And I'm finding with my own experiences, the more that I ask for context in general, the yep. more that it starts volunteering context. And I think this is what you're getting at, uh, Christine, with the 
is it trying to be my friend? Like, what's the dynamic mm -hmm. that I'm building mm -hmm. with this AI? Because or AI, the machine learning telling you yeah, that, right? Because, because you've asked for it. We've we're discussing this, all of this, uh, with the approach of it's describing to us. It's describing to blind and low vision people. It's giving us description of image. But also, there's this bigger picture of AI and what AI is and what ChatGPT specifically is is trying to build dynamics with the people, right? Not just the machine yes. learning, not 100%. just right it's yes. not just yes. description it's that it wants to get to know how we want things done and i've noticed for example i'm in my laundry room i'm taking a picture of the the screen um the display and it'll yeah. yes and the first time i did that it was like okay it, this is what the picture is the second time i did that it's like because because i asked for all these follow-up questions about tell me the sequence of buttons what's selected what options are there i would actually take a second picture with uh myself pointing at one of the buttons and saying is this Ooh. the button you're referring to and it'll say mm. yes so now if i not just in the laundry room but but if i take the display of my pressure cooker if i take a display of my remote control it's giving me contextual information based on how I've interacted with this kind of thing in the past. So I find that thing to be very fascinating. Do you want to get to the second picture before we run out of yeah. time, Chris? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's check out the second image and its description. Okay. The picture you've shared is a breathtaking view from what seems to be an airplane. The top part of the image is dominated by a clear blue sky. There is a small, white, circular object in the sky which appears to be the moon. As you move towards the bottom of the image, the blue sky gradually fades into a lighter shade, almost white, which seems to be the atmosphere. Below that, you can see the Earth's surface. The land appears to be a patchwork of different shades of green and brown, possibly fields or natural terrain. The colors are a bit hazy, likely due to the altitude. I, I think the object in the sky might be the moon because of its circular shape and white color, which are characteristic of how the moon appears when viewed from Earth. Additionally, the object is in the sky and there are not many other natural objects that would be visible in the sky during daylight hours besides the moon. So it's not wow. the moon, disappointingly. Okay. I asked about, so, so that additional information was me because I love that idea, but uh, it's a reflection apparently between the two panes the of the airplane window. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, disappointing. It was disappointing. Really even when wanted I questioned it. To be the moon it now. I know, so did I, right? At least, but, but it, it noticed see, it, it almost it, seemed to be defending itself. It appears mm -hmm. to me, I you know, it did not say for sure. But what a but sighted person follow up. Yes. has the same issue. Okay, sorry, go on, Chris. Yeah. Oh no, just that. But there's one other thing that oh, this really got me. Literally, I had listened to about twenty of these descriptions, which get a bit repetitive before it fully sank in. The sky gets darker toward the top of the image, and every image said right. this, but it didn't. It took twenty repetitions for me to go. Oh wait, is it getting darker because it's getting closer to space? And so I asked some people, and they said, um, "Yeah, that's pretty much what's happening. The atmosphere is lighter, and as you look up, way up, the sky gets darker." Because you're getting towards space where there's less atmosphere. And that, to me, totally new, totally new perspective and information. So this is why I'm still captivated is it keeps offering me these tidbits, which sometimes I don't even notice right away, mm. but they become these shifts where I go, oh, that's mm. what's happening. And so yeah. that's why I continue to be completely hooked. And, and the and, same and, way and that, that it's assuming that something is the moon or something is this or that, it's not assuming that you do or don't know some of this that's context, right. right? It gives that's you almost right. an objective. Objective, like, yeah, here's what you're seeing. And we're using it 
in a different usage, right? The, the AI is there, but it is yet to get to where, oh, I'm working on this for with for blind people. And what it starts, it's desca- describing what a sighted person, until Ramya points her finger, which I think Michael Babcock was telling us about something that if you yeah, point your one. finger at yep. Ram, I recall that um, AI gener- you know, directed, yeah. we, we learned that before. But I think because it's so used to a sighted person is going to say, you know, what what is that over there? And take that picture and it's going to be quick about it until we say, well, I don't know what that mm. means. What's it look like? What is it? Oh, I need more detail. It's so new to it. And I think this yes. is the big experiment with this project. Yep. Yes. Wow. Endlessly interesting. Yeah. It is Next month, it'll time. be more probably. probably. <laughs> take, a, take a picture at your cost. Next month, we can, time, right? Next month we can complain yeah. about how long it takes to generate an answer. I'm like, come on. I want to. We'll be complaining in yeah, no time flat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Novelty wear novelty. I love aspect. your follow-ups, though. When it, that last one sounded like, well, I'm telling you what I think it is. Yeah. If it had right. changed its tone, oh, it would have been totally so defensive. totally on the defense. Yeah. Chris, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Christine Malik joining us for Curious Minds, and we're all curious about the uh, Be My AI if you've already started using it. And if you haven't, then maybe this will make you go check it out. After the break, we have the roundtable. Kelly McDonald has picked some topics for us, and myself and Mark Phoenix, our friend of the show, we're all going to talk about it together. We'll be right back. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. I know Christine gets really um, agitated around some of the subjectivity and, you know, biases, as she says, that ChatGPT has with some of these words like cozy and breathtaking. But I actually just dive right into there. I take pictures of food and then I say, describe this in a very appetizing way or tell me a story about the, the platter of food that this image contains. And it just goes on and makes everything sound so delectable. And then I start sending things to my friends. I don't know if it actually sounds that appetizing or looks that appetizing. Sometimes it's like, this is a, what did it say, Kels? Chicken with seasoning on it. Yeah, with seasoning <laughs> on it. I, I think it's the familiarity, right? Yeah. It's what people expect. If you, again, I go back to this is not created to do description for blind people. It's it's created to, it's created to look at something and then translate. And mm. that's what we are asking it to do yes. something, so therefore the default is, I'll describe it like yeah. you're leading your audience. Exactly. Book. Oh, the fun you can have uh, with the entertainment side oh, of it. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And we know that's what a writer would choose to do with it. If yep. I want this described, describe this plate because I'm putting this into my book. Okay, let's use the great words. Makes for a right good Instagram later. post, that's yeah, for say, sure. Well, make, make this something for a book. <laughs> you know, the intro for a chapter. Folks, it's time as we gather. Speaking of conversations, thinking of description, it's time for the weekly roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now goes, (laughs) I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Every Thursday, we do this open conversation. I facilitate by gathering a few things together. Invite Ramya and our guest of the week to join us to have a chat. Friend of the show, Mark Phoenix, is back with us. Mark, often on the show, you hear him filling in when uh, Bill's away. And it's so wonderful, Mark, to have you back on board with us, pal. 
Well, it's always wonderful to be here to uh, cause some trouble and uh, give you some headaches. <laughs> well, we know there's so much going on in the world. So let's see what kinds of things we can get into today and, and, and what pots we can stir. A new report says that vehicle crashes in the, and fatalities in the U.S. Has, uh, for young drivers has actually fallen dramatically. The nonprofit group Governors Highway Association says looking at statistics from 2021 and 2022, fatal crashes involving drivers under 21 years old have fallen by 38 percent, and deaths of young drivers have dropped even more by about 45 percent. For drivers 21 and older, fatal crash and deaths rose during that period. The report acknowledges that young people are driving less than they were 20 years ago, but it highlights several other reasons for the decreasing numbers, such as state programs that phase in driving privileges and often ban certain activities like driving at night or with young peers and making driver's ed available to everyone. I'm Donna Water. So, Mark, I was of the impression, I guess spoiled, that driver's ed was so available in high school, uh, at least where I went it was, and I think it was one of those things that I thought was just part of curriculum. I know that people taking driving lessons would get shown those alleged scary videos and stuff like that of this is a, an accident scene and see what kind of th messages it would leave, especially the young people. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious what you feel, what you've observed through your life when it comes to this. I mean, the state's there. They've got some great programs in the way of, hey, not driving at night. And we, we see a lot of this and know this now. What do we do also with those older people that are still drinking and driving and, and doing things to taking the chances and getting in trouble? Well, to, the, to your first point, from what I saw, I had a similar experience. All of my peers talking about going to driving class after school, taking their first try at uh, driving a car, getting their G1, their G2, and getting to a state where they can, you know, drive me around all day, which would be you know, nice. pretty nice. Mark um, like that. Yes, Friends I like that very much. You're Finally, my if you're a chauffeur. Someone who's not my parents. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> and I, I would like to know that any statistics taken during the period two, 2020 to 2022, they might need an asterisk for ver for various obvious reasons. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, I would like it very much if the youth uh, accident and fatality rates stayed down in coming years. I'll have my fingers crossed about that. As for older drivers, drivers who continue to insist on driving in an altered state, as for what can be done, um, there are laws on the books in many places and they just need to be enforced. I know in when I lived in Toronto until recently, one major problem was that traffic enforcement had basically stopped. And for a while, people were all but racing on the main highways at night. Yes, um, yes. So a lot of it is just keeping an eye out, uh, you know, reporting if you spot someone weaving. And for someone who just absolutely insists on doing it, driving is a privilege. It's not a right. And that privilege can be revoked if you prove to be dangerous at the wheel. And that's something that unfortunately has to happen. Now, it's tricky given that in a lot of places, if you can't drive, you can't get around. That's well, right. It's you, a might, you might have certain. You might have to make some friends real quick, willing to car who are willing to carpool with you, if you manage to, you know, get your privilege revoked for being the last person who should be at the wheel. The Don Valley Racetrack you refer to. I, I mm -hmm. remember these races that would be on there, and it'd be just absolute incredible. Ramya, from your peers in school, 
Um, obviously, inner city too, a little bit different. And I always think of that when I hear less people are driving. That's kind of what I thought of. I, I like the fact that they were saying young people can't drive younger people around down there in the States. A little fast forward from Mark and I kind of in our time thinking, or mine, then Mark's time, how, how was it? Did you pay any attention to this kind of thing? And what, what impressions did you have of friends, younger people driving? I think there was this strange kind of uh, limbo that I think people my age, or as I started to notice, like younger people from me, because around my time it was the same thing. People were taking driver's lessons. People were very serious about getting their G1 when at the earliest possible convenience, right? And um, right. wasn't there some kind of law change, at least in Ontario, where they had moved it from 18 to 16, or you could, you know, drive with the G1? There was something that was going on that yeah, affected... timing, I think it yeah. was, you're talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about. You could get it, but that you had to wait a year or something for to the next, go for, yeah. But if you got your G1 the, at this time, you know, you turn, yeah. turn 16, get your G1, and uh, be able to qualify for G2 the next year or something like that with driver's ed. So anyway, there was something that was going on where people were so serious about getting their driver's license as soon as possible, as soon as uh, conveniently or, you know, financially or otherwise possible for them. But then around my brother's age, and he's born uh, 01, 2001, um, there was a slowdown of people wanting to get their driver's license as soon as possible. I think like the priority of becoming a driver was starting to shift. I don't know what that the reason around that was or reasons um maybe it was just more financial like who's affording a car right now so uh, what's the point of getting it yeah or that it was more you know normalized to commute and people were either living closer to the things like that the places where they needed to go, school and home, I'll just live right there and not necessarily need a car. But these discussions were becoming way more nuanced and it wasn't just this given that you were going to start driving as soon as you could start driving. I also wonder how much people just made other things priority, such as stereo equipment, such as tuition, yeah, yeah. things that they just said, I don't want to be in Where debt do you want to put your this money? This is something I want. Mm. And we know, Mark, we've heard now that there are so many young people. I am When I say young... I'm talking kids under 10 that are making money doing things on the internet and things like that, that they're able to do, you know, where we had kids running and delivering newspapers, they're finding that digital way now. Yes, they are, you know, designing websites. There's some Mm -hmm. people getting into crypto, um, you know, becoming, you know, junior YouTube and TikTok stars. There, there, There are ways to pull in some money and save your pennies for, you know, another day. And if you live in a big city with a decent transit system, you don't need to put that money toward a car. You can put it toward other things. Or if you're planning to move to a city with a decent transit system, you know, when you go to post-secondary education or you move away to start your own career in life, depending where you go, you know, you, you might not have to buy a car or you could be like me and move to a place where there is no public transit and either you have a vehicle or you need to get one. But yeah, if you're getting started making money early on, you can sock a bunch away they can give you a pretty decent head start coming out of school yeah. just other priorities i think that's where as rumia speaks of that time you know 20 years ago uh next thing guys the official opposition is attempting to have a house of commons a decision studied it's an editorial decision that is of the cbc's even though its independence from government is enshrined in law toronto metropolitan university journalism professor emeritus paul knox says the Tories are out of line. 
it's really offside for politicians to be questioning the judgment of journalists in terms of language in, in, in news stories, you know, particularly where they where the implication is that it is going to be a relevant factor in their votes and decisions about funding a public broadcaster. CBC, enough of uh, kind of a tricky thing. So since we put so much money into it, many of us don't actually utilize it in this country as probably we should. Um, and and it is a, a wonderful service. Now, this is really all about the fact that the CBC is defending its policy not to call Hamas, um, uh, excuse me, not to call Hamas militants terrorists in its reporting of the uh, Israel-Hamas war, saying its coverages has multiple represent, let's get the word out, folks, multiple references to terrorism, but it doesn't itself designate specific groups as terrorists. And and for myself, I, I get that. I, I've heard the statement that was posted online, um, the blog posting that was that was written pertaining this, and understand where they were going. Um, at first, Ramya, a lot of accusations as to the feel of, CBC, are you realizing how, how disastrous, how mm. horrible the actions of this group, how terrorizing, how much they should be noted as terrorists and stuff. And I'm watching my words a lot because of our discussion with Danielle uh, mm -hmm. the other day on the program. Yeah, see, that's the thing, right? We uh, now, and it doesn't have to be now necessarily, but especially now, uh, we want to be able to not just put ourselves in an A or B category or box or black or white a response to something, um, but we also expect everybody else to do the same. And that includes individuals, it includes entities, it includes governments, it includes international relations. And I think that CBC is understanding the significance of why not to do that? You know, their significance um, as, a, as a broadcaster, um, as what they've carried historically, um, as just in all senses, I think that it's a very difficult decision and a very difficult thing to maintain, to tr try to represent everything, to try not to um, pick sides, to, uh, you know, stay politically, if not neutral, just diverse but yep. they're understanding, yep. they're understanding that this is important. It's crucial. And exactly as you said, Kels, I'm very much thinking back to our conversation with Daniel McLaughlin on Know Your Rights, where we discussed this exact same situation of, you know, is it appropriate and can we step away from, you know, actively, consciously step away from just throwing around words and categories to to place people where we need them to be so that we can feel more satisfied with how we want to, uh, what stance we want to take on the situation. And Mark, to sit there and say that if we call them this name, that makes us feel better because of the barbaric behavior. Um, your thoughts? Well, the CBC, like every other media outlet, is walking a very careful line at this mm -hmm. moment. Um, and for, you know, either the government or the opposition to lay some pressure on over what's, I mean, this is highly journalist. This is a this is squarely in the realm of journalism. How do you describe an armed group? Do you use one word or another? Um, for the government, for the opposition uh, to try to bring pressure to bear about the use of the term is 
to me, well outside of bounds. Uh, mm-hmm. The CBC For isn't sure. doing something Absolutely. egregious here by trying to be Mm-mm. careful with their language. There, it's a it's a news outlet. It's it's the public broadcaster. They have to be careful mm. with how they describe organizations and individuals. And for, you know, a, a political party to try to engage in pressure tactics, to try to score political points, doing something uh, to try to embarrass the arm's length broadcaster, which that particular party would, const- you know, occasionally floats yeah. defunding anyway. Um I mean, it. I guess is the kind of typical behavior you can expect from right. Parliament. You know, this is the kind <laughs> of you know thing that happens. But it's important that CBC sets standards and adheres to those standards and is held accountable to those standards That's in right. some manner. But but in an impartial manner, in a manner That's that right. they're answerable to the whole of Parliament and not just whichever party wants to throw brickbats no. at a given time over a current controversial conflict. And us, our tax money. Guys in the control Absolutely. room, I want to skip down to the fourth item. Um, so we'll just go down to this one here with a new study has show, has found that a couple extra minutes to snooze may not quite be what you need. Hitting the snooze button? You may want to think twice after learning the results of two studies. They found regular snoozers may not feel any less drowsy and that they may not sleep as deeply as they could if they didn't hit the button so often. Snoozing didn't affect mood, nor did it appear to lead to cognitive impairment. But the study's authors say more research is needed there. Those who snooze tend to be evening types, and they get an average of 13 minutes less sleep than those who never snooze. Daria Albinger, ABC News. I'm a troublemaker that tries to enjoy my darn ball game, my hockey, my whatever. So, Mark, you, how does this fit your shoes? You can pry the snooze button from my cold, dead hands. (laughs) I am a snoozer. (laughs) I have no shame. Uh, I am an evening. Actually, the bit about snoozers being evening people is an interesting observation because both Deborah and I really are kind of more afternoon evening people, partly because we're an hour and a half in the future from the rest of you uh, in Ontario and <laughs> the rest of the country. But also it just, it just tends to be where our systems settle. Like we are kind of afternoon, evening people. Other people are morning people who pop awake the second a single photon of sunlight hits their eyelids. Right. Uh, I mean, there's 8 billion of us. We have, you know, there's a diversity of uh, circadian rhythms among us. It is interesting that snoozers apparently get a little less sleep because yeah, I guess that's you know, shocked. You, wow. you try to, I guess maybe trying to build in, you know, Oh, I'll, you know, I'll pop awake at this right at this particular time. And you end up staying up a bit later because you think you have the extra month, extra time to cheat and you actually don't. And there you are with only five and a half hours of sleep needing to hop in the car as soon as possible. Uh, yep, interesting study it. anyway. Um, but nonetheless, I know you're crying. Oh, so funny. Yeah, no, I didn't want to hear that I get less sleep because I snooze 17 times. That's pretty upsetting. Uh, but it is disruptive. I will say that. I don't feel more uh-huh. rested because I snooze. It's habitual to me. I can't stop it. Have fun with your alarm clock tomorrow as you're thinking about it, as you're hitting. We will. And hitting. And hitting. Mark, thanks a lot, pal. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Kelly and Ramya, for having me on. As usual, Mark Phoenix, always enjoyable on the roundtable. Lots of great perspective that we get here as much as we can. We will return. Oh, oh, <clears throat> oh, we uh, will ladies return. Roundtable once a week here on the program on Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, Ramya, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to tell the people that we will be back uh, to wrap up the show, tell you a little bit more about the Internet.
and give you a preview of what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. We'll be back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. We got just about four minutes with you, so let's get through everything, shall we? Number one, you can check out Kelly and Ramya on your favorite podcast platform. That's the on-demand version of checking out the show if you don't want to listen live or can't and uh, you don't have time for the repeats either. No problem. Go to your favorite podcast platform, search for Kelly and Ramya, and you will find us there in full show form with the vanity card at the end as well as the segments all available to you separately that you can share, check out, and listen at 1.5 speed so you can get through everything. Now, now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Was that for me that even with the vanity card? Does that mean you did your vanity card? I did my vanity, yeah. I was letting you know, hint, hint, I did it. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. Usually when you do that, you don't mention the vanity cards at all. It was very subtle, though. And you you caught me, yeah. Okay. Kind of like my roundtable references earlier in the show always. Folks, I'm now with Dave Brown, folks, (laughs) available via podcast as well. But you catch them live here at 9 a.m. on the the show, on the main network of TV. Good heavens, whose tongue did I borrow today? Um, On the the TV network at 9 a.m. in the morning here, Eastern Time. Michael McNeely reviews the Netflix miniseries. We were talking about this the other day with Greg David. The Fall of the House of Usher. Michelle McQuig and Joita Gutta are on board with Dave to uh, review some of the headlines from the week on the the weekly Friday newspaper. All that tomorrow, starting at 9 a.m. I am going to check out The Fall of the House of Usher this weekend. Are you? Yep. Have you seen the original? No. You're a fan of Edgar Allan Poe, though, right? I mean, you seem from lit to know classes. A little. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think just different. adapting his stuff would be great. Because, you know, it's, it's creepy It'll stuff. Be interesting. I actually like the references Greg explained to us about Telltale Heart, the uh, episodes. Exactly, exactly. And I can just imagine what that's going to be like, especially when you what roll in the, uh, the Usher curse. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, here's our closing that's moment like for today. For chapters, right? I know. Oh, cool it's nice. It's nice. Also, uh, as co-hosts, we definitely heavily influence each other because I did that network thing earlier in the show. So confused everybody. All right. Cool. Yeah. Okay, here's our closing moment. The inventor of the internet does, in fact, regret the URL setup. So sad. It's just like that password dude who invented the, uh, you know, capital, one capital, one lowercase, and a special character mm. and number thing uh, is also regretting that for us. Thank you very much. Tim Berners-Lee, who created the main software World Wide Web, admits that he regrets one thing, adding slash, slash, double slash, slash, after HTTPS in a web address. Yep. And he said uh, it was part of that original programming, but it doesn't actually serve any real purpose. So when looking back in 2009 or 2009, he would have saved time and space. Wow. Thanks, man. Thanks for acknowledging that. Uh, but it's okay. We, I guess we can forgive you because of how big the internet is and how much we all love it now. Thank goodness for small favors and huge, uh, you know, people and their <laughs> web addresses, right? Yeah, yeah. And now you can just you type in whatever you want in the address and it kind of like smart right. guesses for you anyway. So who really cares? Yeah, we, we, we got his back. We got it covered. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Here's what's coming up tomorrow, the Friday edition of Kelly and Rumia, where neither Kelly or Rumia are actually going to be here. Brock Richardson, Daniel McLaughlin are going to hold the fort down on a Friday. They will help you into the weekend. And they'll talk about our app update with John Beeler. They're discussing uh, X starting to charge people a dollar a year. Wow. You gonna pay it? No. Okay. 
All right. On the Chatty Bookshelf, Ryan Huey is going to tell us about an author who uses a pseudonym who's been blowing up social media. Look for it. Enjoy the show tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, the Friday edition, into your weekend. Have a good one. It's interesting the shifts and or changes or little details of habits that we can fail to notice or sometimes start noticing and think, oh, I didn't even realize this. How long have I been doing this for? For example, on AMI Audiobook Review, Greg David, this week's guest, realized in real time that, hmm, interestingly enough, he listens to audiobooks out loud he'd rather it be a surround sound or just a speaker of some sort situation versus podcasts he prefers to listen to using earbuds and also kind of in the same vein of things he could listen to pods while looking through recipes while cooking dinner and actively participating in the scrolling of visually looking at a recipe and instructions and ingredients and such versus an audiobook he's not able to listen to an audiobook unless he's doing something in the kitchen that he's already very familiar with you know like the the typical stir fry that he's used to doing but he's not able to do that while looking at a recipe because engagement and focus just feels very cut off or splintered and I thought where do I do this in my life and I think the speaker versus earphones thing or even what I'm willing to listen to or watch in terms of TV uh, with audio description and not have visual focus, be okay with non-visual stimulation versus things I'm not. If I'm super familiar with the show, and especially if it's comedy, uh, even if it's new episodes, I am willing to put it and just put it on and just have an audio only experience versus drama, sci-fi, any of these things, even if my vision is limited and I know that I'm not getting the stimulation I think I am, there's something about the focus that changes when I have the visual along with the audio. I don't know how much more there is to it, how much it is about depth versus just, hey, you don't want to drop certain things because you're so used to it and and miss it if you lose it kind of thing. But it is interesting to think about. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.